Well, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Proverbs. We're going to kind of jump around to a couple of passages in Proverbs today as we begin this series on Pursue Peace. Before we jump into that, let me tell you something about myself. I love puzzles. I think I've told some of you that before. I, I love just getting one of those thousand-piece puzzles. The harder, the better. Uh, you know, we don't have as much room in our apartment now to do these kind of puzzles. But growing up, I, especially in the summer, I would just leave a table set up with a puzzle I was working on. I remember one summer I got, you know, this puzzle, and I was really working on it. And uh, it was one somebody had done before, and so I was going to see if I could do it faster or better, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I started putting this together, and it just wasn't making sense. Like I was trying this, you know, I'm like, I cannot find this piece on the picture. Like I was just trying to figure it out. And I said, well, I'll come back to that. And so I was going, I'd get a piece here, get a piece there. And another piece just wouldn't seem to fit. Well, long story short, it found out that whoever did this puzzle last, like took two boxes of puzzles and just threw them in the same box. And I'm like, it's driving me crazy. And I'm like, I'm trying to start sorting them out and try to figure out like which one's which. And like, I'm like, are even all that, where's the, where's the other box? Like, are there pieces for this one and that one? And I just finally gave up on it. And I don't know about you, but many times our lives can feel like a puzzle with a thousand different boxes mixed together. I mean, we, we can have the puzzle pieces of being a father, a husband, a son, a friend, a boss, an employee, a Christian, a writer, a pastor, trying to be relevant, trying to be funny, trying to entertain people. We try to daily put all these pieces of our lives together, and it seems like sometimes we're pulling pieces out of the wrong box, and pieces are missing, and pieces aren't there, and we just end up missing. We're like, what is going on? And the truth is, this leads to frustration in our life. It leads to confusion. It leads to desperation, and eventually this desire to just give up and walk through life, hoping that the best is going to play out for me, but probably knowing that it's not going to. And today we begin this journey of kind of sorting through the mess of our lives, these thousand different puzzles, and understanding that there is really only one true puzzle, one box that we need to be drawing these pieces from. Oftentimes, as I go through my daily life, as I'm just kind of living and meeting new people or engaging in new environments, I'm asked either directly or indirectly a very simple question. Why are you a Christian? Why do you go to church? Why are you a pastor? It's I rarely does a week go by that I do not get asked one of those questions. And my answer to this question is simply that I have finally found a picture for my life that makes sense. A puzzle that when it's put together isn't just part of who I am, but is actually the solution for every other part of who I am as well. It's the base picture for which when my life is put together in the right way that everything else seems to fall in place. When this puzzle is put together, every other puzzle in my life seems to just come together. The confusion goes away, the frustration diminishes, the desperation subsides, and I go from wanting to give up to actually living every day, bearing the fruits of pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope that I have an impact on my life and the life of others. If you've been coming to our church long, you've heard those four words from me many times, pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. And I don't just use those because I pick those out of thin air. I believe that as we embrace the idea of following Christ, the bedrock desires of our heart of wanting to have pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope come into focus and the puzzle is put together. This has been proven out in my life over and over again. 
pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope grow and flourish in my life when I establish the example of Jesus and follow him. And then they diminish and slowly fade or erode away when I start to diminish the voice of Christ in my life. I've seen this time and time again. And so what I want to do is over the next few months, I want us to, as a church, journey through teachings in Scripture and learn to engage in some life principles that have made these four key principles so impactful. So the first four teaching series that we're going to do this year are going to help us focus on how to pursue peace, how to submit to pleasure, how to discover meaning, and how to embrace hope. So that by the middle of the year, we'll have life completely figured out. After June, no more questions. We've got it figured out. Maybe not quite that, but at least we'll have some handles to hold on to, some truths to stick to in our life when we feel these areas start to get out of focus. And as we learn to walk in these truths, I want to guarantee you this. Life becomes simpler. Decisions become clear. Wisdom becomes prevalent in our life. And the other puzzles of our lives just seem to come into place. So as you think about your life this morning, you think about the many different things that you're just trying to put together to try to make work. And maybe one puzzle seems like it's almost together and another one just seems like it's falling apart. You can't even get the edges done. You can't even find the corner pieces to get started. Maybe it's because we've been trying to put together the wrong puzzle to start with. So today we start with the concept of peace, of pursuing peace. And we begin with peace because it is the foundational need we have in our life. Think about it. Without peace, everything else seems to fall apart. We lose perspective. We make simple decisions difficult. We become irrational in both thought and deed. Without peace, we feel unstable, vulnerable, and we become desperate for almost anything. This is the reason Jesus was actually referred to as the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. This is why the Apostle Paul says that following Christ will give you a peace that passes understanding, and that you and I should let the peace of Christ reign in our heart, and in doing so, begin to guard our hearts. The teaching of Christ as peace and the foundational need for peace in our life is found throughout Scripture. The garden, the very first story in the Bible, is a story of peace, when God and man were at peace together. And when that peace was broken, the rest of the story of the Bible is how do we regain that peace? And so pursuing peace is key. The truth is, without peace, we won't love others the right way. We won't forgive others if we don't have peace. We won't serve others if we don't have peace. We won't have joy if we don't have peace in our life. Relationships will be impacted without peace. Look back at this passage that Miranda just read, Proverbs 34, and let's uh, see how this talks about this idea of peace. Proverbs 34, 11 says this, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. This writer of this Proverbs here is basically saying this, Look, if you want a long, healthy life, pursue peace. Pursue the peace of God in your life. If you want to live long days and you want those days to be happy and good, have peace. It's basically this idea that there is so much today that if you, on the Internet, you talk to friends, you connect with people, there is a new secret way to stay healthy, right? Everybody's got the new 
secret. Jamal and I were talking about this the other day, and he gave me a new secret, which is bee pollen. Right? So I'm like, I'm trying bee pollen. I ordered some off the internet the other day. It tastes horrible. I'm not sure if it's helping memory and all that stuff yet, but but I'm trying. We were talking about this, and all of a sudden Chase chimes in, and Chase's like, no, CoQ10. CoQ10 is, I was like, what What language is that? And he's like, no, it's C. And so I was looking the other day, like, CoQ. There's all these things. You go through your, your Facebook food, whatever, wherever you read things on the Internet, there's a new thing, a new secret to long, healthy life. And this proverb is saying this, look. Everybody's been searching for that for a long time. Let me tell you what the truth is to a true, long, healthy life. It's peace. It's peace. It's pursuing peace. So what does that mean to pursue peace? That sounds great. Okay, let's just all pursue peace. Go out today and pursue peace. So what does that mean? If that's the true secret to life, what does it mean? And let me tell you a couple ways this often gets taught or we think about it that, that aren't true. Pursuing peace first doesn't mean that I have to make a path to reach God. Doesn't mean that God's hidden from us. He's playing this cosmic game of hide and seek and to make peace with God. Like I got to follow this sign and do this and do that and follow this. And eventually the end of my days, maybe I'll find God. Doesn't mean that we're at war with God, that, that you know, we have to find a path of peace to, to bring offerings and appease God. It's not that he is out to get us. Because scripture teaches us that God has already provided a pathway for us. It's not up for us to make a pathway to God. God has already made a pathway for you and I to have peace with him. And that pathway is Christ. It's the work of Christ. It's understanding that Jesus was God in the flesh who came to live in this world and live a perfect life, but then to die as a perfect sacrifice for the payment of our sin, to bring us back to peace with God. God already provided this path. And so often we get confused when we think about pursuing peace. It is up to me to make a path to God. And when we do that, I want to tell you, we grow weary in that. We grow tired in that because that's not our job. And God has already made a path to us. Second thing is this. It also doesn't mean that every time I mess up, that it's up to me to make things right with God. That I have to do something to make things right with God doesn't mean that sin doesn't mean anything or that when we go against the ways of God, it's not going to impact us. It certainly does, you know, ruin where we are. But it doesn't mean that we have to come to God every time and start afresh and start anew. When God has given us forgiveness, his forgiveness lasts it's for all eternity. This forgiveness that we have in Christ, it lasts forever. And while sin sin may steal our passion for God, it does not steal our peace with God for those that have that accepted that pathway to God. So if it doesn't mean that it's one of these two things, then what does it mean to pursue peace? This passage here, what it's talking about is coming to peace with trusting God's ways. It's coming to peace with believing that God's ways are right, holy, and just that that is all we need. We can find complete peace in the ways of God. Pursuing peace is pursuing the idea that God's ways are perfect. His commands are flawless. His direction and his instructions for life are founded in complete wisdom and knowledge. We don't need another source of truth. This is what pursuing peace means. It means coming to peace with the fact that God 
is enough. Pursuing peace is coming to the peace with the idea that there is a God and I'm not him. And that God is good and gracious and he wants good and gracious things for you and for me. To produce, pursue peace, like this verse said, is to turn from evil, to turn from other sources of what we think is truth and to find only truth in the goodness of God. So if that's what it means to pursue peace is to actually come to peace with there is a God and I'm not him and he wants good and gracious things for me. If that's what it means to pursue, then, then how do we do that? How do we do this? I wish, again, it was as simple as just saying, go do it. But the truth is, I often fall short in this pursuit. What I, I've learned over the years is following Christ is that is not a goal. Following Christ is not a goal in my life. Following Christ is a day-by-day step. He's a guide in my life. Jesus isn't a goal in my life. He's a guide in my life. He's here with me. He walks with me. He strengthens us. He shepherds us. This pursuit isn't about something that we have to do alone. It's not that we'll find him at the end of the life pursuit, but that he is guiding us through this pursuit to experience peace in our lives. And I think if we could talk about the how, it just basically boils down to that. Not thinking of Jesus in like one day, I'll get there. One day, it is today. Today, I'll walk with God. Today, I can experience peace in my life. Today, this puzzle can come together. It doesn't mean that everything will be easy. It doesn't mean that every solution that we want will be thrust upon us, but what it does mean is no matter what circumstance we face, no matter how bad we feel like we mess up, no matter how far we feel like we have fallen from God, Jesus is there to guide us, to bring peace. And so what Christ has done is to give us, as we guide us through these lives, is to give us some anchor points to hold on to. I've been rock climbing a couple of times, never on a real rock, just on the uh, the fake ones like at the cliffs or Brooklyn Boulder. And I know a few of you guys in here rock climb all the time. Charles is like a fiend at rock climbing. But I remember the one time I was going up and, and doing rock climbing, I thought this was so easy. Like I just climbed right up and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. There's like a path you have to take. You have to choose certain colors. Like you, you just, it's not a race to the top. And, uh, and I was like, oh, really? And so I'm learning. And I remember the first time I was doing this, I was going through and I was like at a point where I was stuck. I, I was anchored in. I put my little uh, carabiner on a hook and I was good to anchor in. And there was a big leap I needed to take. And I remember the guy that was helping me basically said, Patrick, put your this foot here, put your left foot here, put your right foot on this one and then swing over and grab that one. And I would have never thought of that. I was about just ready to grab a different color one and say, you know, screw this. I'm just going up as quick as I can. But he guided me. Like I'm anchored into this truth, and then he guided me and told me what to do next. And that's exactly what Jesus does as we go through this life, as we pursue peace. He's like, look, I'm going to give you some anchors to hold on to, and I'm going to tell you how to get past this struggle that you can't see a way past. Because I've done it. I've been there. I see it. I'm the author of of all wisdom. And so these are those anchor points. And what we're going to do in this peace series is talk about five of these anchor points. And the first one we're going to focus on today is this anchor point of self-control. Self-control. Now, let me, let me 
take back to this question that John asked us to discuss earlier about, you know, in this typical day, what is it that controls or attitudes and outlook on your day ahead and on your life? And as I was just listening and even the conversation let Leslie and I were having, like, it just came from, like, it was outside forces. Like, every, just about everything I heard was, like, you know, I didn't have my coffee. Or, you know, looking at my calendar, like, what's ahead today? Like, I got this meeting that I'm not looking forward to, and so I'm just going to be in a bad mood until that meeting gets through. Or I've got something really fun tonight, so I'm excited. If I can just make it through the day, I'm looking forward to that. It's all these outside forces is what many of us say. And while may this seem right, and it's actually what happens in our life, the truth is this. You and I are actually the ones who ultimately decide our attitude and outlook for the day. We too often, though, give control to something beyond ourselves. We give control to our circumstances. We give control to our, our, what we have coming that day. We control to what happened the day before. We control to just the fact that we just woke up and feel like we're in a lousy mood today. We give up control so easily. In Proverbs 25, 28, which is a key verse that we want to focus on today in this anchor of of self-control for peace, says this. A man without self-control, a man or woman without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, you know, New York, we don't have walls around our city, thank goodness. But, you know, it, it in, in those days, the only protection cities primarily had were walls from people just coming in and stealing and taking over. And what he's saying is somebody without self-control, you're basically leaving yourself defenseless and open. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever had your home broken into or a car broken into. I had a car broken into one time. It was actually parked in a church parking lot. I was on a trip, right? I thought it was safe. Like, who's going to come to a church and break into a car? I don't know who did, but they did. And they came in. They stole my nice six-disc CD changer radio. Like, that's how long ago this was. Like, they didn't take my iPod. They took my CD changer and, like, my book. We used to have these books that were, like, this big, like four or five CDs per page. If you're old enough to remember those, like, yeah, they took my whole collection of CDs. I mean, I was like, I can get a new radio. But I was thinking, that's thousands of dollars of music. Now we can just download, listen to anything we wanted any time. But I remember coming in and seeing that glass broken, seeing what was gone. And I remember driving home feeling violated. Like I actually felt like somebody else was in the car with me. I'm like, who was in my car? Who was here? Who got in here? Who did this to me? And every time I got in that car from then on out, I couldn't take it. I, I felt violated. So like in a week or so, I traded that car in for a new car because I just didn't feel like that car was mine anymore. Somebody had taken it from me. And that's what happens when people not only break into our cars and home, but when they break into our life, we feel violated. We feel like somebody is coming in and taking something that's, that was ours and they have taken it from us. And we end up when we let someone else take control of our life. And we, when we stop operating with self-control, we feel like someone has broken into our lives and stole our peace. And eventually, I don't know about you, but it's, like me with that car, eventually I just want to trade it in. I want to act like something's new. I may, Maybe that means I just go to a different job. Maybe it's a find a new set of friends or I find a new spouse or I, I do this. And I just I walk away because my peace has been stolen. And that's what this verse is saying here. And so let's I want to do a couple of things. I want to define self-control for us. Talk about what happens in our life when it's stolen. 
And then how do we maintain peace through that? So self-control defined is simply this. Self-control at its core is the ability to direct my thoughts and actions. That's what self-control is. It's the ability to direct my thoughts, what am I thinking about, and what am I doing? My thoughts and actions. Every day things will try to break into your life to steal my peace. And I can do actually nothing to keep these attacks from coming. They will come. And sometimes they even come from friendly sources. I remember when, when Katie and I, right after we were first married, right after we had kids, right after we had Natalie, all of a sudden there's two toddlers in the house. Like they tried to break in every day and steal our peace. Like every day they would wake us up on Saturday mornings. They would, you know, things would be, we had to baby proof our house. Like our house was not even ours anymore. There were these pads on the edges of everything. Everything was sitting really high on top of stuff, you know, because they could just get to it. Our peace was gone. It seemed like our life was gone and we couldn't trade them in. I mean, that wasn't an option at that point. We probably thought about it a couple of times, but, but we couldn't do that. So even, even good things sometimes still are peace. But when these attacks come, the goal is not to get caught with our walls down, which happens when we direct our thoughts and actions toward the wrong things in our life. When we give up control to the wrong things, when we basically invite an untrustworthy driver to take the will of our life. And we typically do that in one of three things. We let one of three things still our peace, still our self-control. And the first one is this, is worry worry. We, we just try to solve the problem. If I think about it more, but you know, I'll just come up with a better solution or we try to get rid of these problems. We try to conquer the problems, problems that are bigger than us. And nobody's ever conquered in the past. Nobody, nobody about one person in history has ever conquered death. And that was Jesus. That was God in the flesh. Like sickness is going to come our way. Big things are going to come our way that we can't defeat. We can't solve every problem, but we worry about often the next problem coming, how we'll face it, and we end up stop moving forward and just try to build defenses. Worry, I want to tell you, will break into your life, and it will steal your peace every time, and it will leave you empty. It will leave you empty. But the second thing that we allow to break in and still our self-control, still control of our life is guilt. Guilt. We start looking at our mistakes and what we could have done different, how we fall short, where we're lacking. We start fostering ideas of self-doubt and self-loathing. Our imperfections begin to define us and how we think about ourselves and how we think others view us. And I want to tell you, guilt will break into your life if you let it and steal your peace, and it will leave you paralyzed. It'll leave you paralyzed. Guilt will leave you paralyzed. The third thing that we let steal our peace and steal our control sometimes is bitterness. We look at what other people have done to us. We start seeing the fault in other people, and we get angry at them. We get blinded by our own mistakes, and we can only see the mistakes of other people. We get angry, and we let hatred and a desire for revenge fuel our thoughts. And I want to tell you, bitterness will break into your life if you let it instill your peace, and when it does, it will leave you alone. Bitterness will leave you alone. Guilt will leave you paralyzed, and worry will leave you empty if you let them take control. When we give up control to worry, guilt, or bitterness, it is like we are throwing the keys to our home to our worst enemy. It's like we are inviting someone that wants to do us harm to the very control room of our lives. And they start leading us down pathways of destruction that we never wanted to go, but we've given up control. 
when worry, guilt, and bitterness control us, they typically don't lead us toward health, hope, or peace. And I'll tell you what they've done in my life. When I've let one of these rule in my life, here's what I end up starting to do. And maybe you'll start to see some of these signs played out in your life before. When I let my self-control be stolen, I start to think, I stop thinking rationally. I stop thinking rationally. I start thinking in extremes, right? This always happens to me, or this will never happen to me. I think, you know, my thoughts are wiser than the thoughts of other people. And I think my words, I'm making sense, and nobody seems to understand it because I'm the wise one. Not, I'm not the irrational one. They are. Second thing I stop doing is, is, is I stop seeing clearly. I only see the worst are the best outcomes. I can't see the next step in front of me, and I always think I'm about to step over the edge. The world's coming to an end with this one decision that I'm about to make. Everything becomes overwhelming. And then I, I start acting foolishly. I'll start to listen to any voice. I think that people that care about me are start hiding the truth from me, and I'll listen to people that I don't even know who seem to be speaking a different kind of truth. And I'll let those words, I'll let any crazy article that I may read or any crazy truth that I see out there act like it's truth in my life. And I'll start to act accordingly. And then I actually start believing the forgery. I start believing the lies. I start looking for new sources of truth. Lies become truth and truth become lies. And my life has lost all peace and I've lost all control. This is what happens when we allow worry, bitterness, or guilt to come in and take control of our lives. I lose rational thought. I'm not seeing clearly. I'm foolish, and I start letting lies rule my life. But there's another option. There's another option to this. And even though our personal histories may be filled with stories of when we have lost self-control to worry, guilt, and bitterness, maybe that's your history. It doesn't have to be your future. The future is written not when we learn to take back control of our life, but when we learn to actually give control of it to the one who knows best. Self-control is not learning about to control yourself, but determining who will control you. As good as it might sound to say, you know what? I'm just going to take control of my life. Self-control, I'll control everything. Well, Scripture teaches us, their own hearts are deceitful above all things. It says they're, they're horribly sick. So it doesn't sound like we are actually the best masters of our own control. So if we're not our own best masters, then who better to surrender control to in our lives than the one who created us, the one who knows us, the one who loves us unconditionally, the one who wants good for us, the one who is the source of all wisdom and truth, which is the Lord. Look at Proverbs 3. Five and six. This is what it says. It says, Trust the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, for he will make straight your paths. I don't know about you, but just reading that verse, like I can feel peace kind of come on to me. Like just as I read that, it's like a weight is lifted off of me. It's like a war has ended. It's like I'm free again for the first time. That learning to submit and lean into him is actually where I find the most peace and freedom. This idea 
that for me to pursue peace in my life means that all I have to do is lean into the truths of God. Not try to figure everything out on my own. That gives me a feeling of relief. If we just stopped and let this verse sit on us for a bit, I believe we would begin to sense peace and relief in our life because it's true. And let me tell you what's happened in my life when I've allowed this verse to play out. Things start to be happen different in my life when I actually give control of my life to something. I don't let it be stolen, but I said I give it to God. And here's what happens. I stop believing the lies. Right? It says, do not lean on your own understanding. Like I stop believing my lies. When I give control to God, lies are the first thing exposed in my life. I, I see them for what they are. I don't view them as truth anymore. And I take them out of positions of power in my life. Lies no longer control me by the way that I think. When I give control to God, lies are exposed so quickly. The second thing is this. I stop focusing on behavior, just changing behavior. I realize this isn't just about me doing something better. It's about me resting in the truth of God and letting him direct my paths, right? It says he will make straight your paths. It's not about me straightening out my paths. It's about God creating straight paths for me as I lean into his truth. So I stopped trying to do just behavior modification. Then I, I start experiencing community with other people. I realize I'm not in this alone. I stop isolating myself and being alone, and I start realizing other people are on the same journey with me. I'm walking with. It's not me against the world or me against the problems. I have allies. I have companions. And then finally, I start believing reality. I start believing Reality, I see that God is who he said he was, that it's real. God is real. My faith identity is founded and strengthened as I understand who God is. My life begins to operate as it was intended to do. So I move from believing lies to actually living in reality when I give control of myself to God. I want to close our time today, and I want to close each week in this peace series by sharing with you a way that I have taught myself, I've taught my kids, I've taught others how to remember this truth, how to remember this anchor point of self-control. And while we may sit here today and say, hey, what we've heard today is meaningful and impactful in my life, it doesn't help us if we can't remember it. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I struggle to remember what I teach from week to week, and I'm the one up here writing it and teaching it. And so how can we remember these things? So with this lesson, I want to share with you how I remember this teaching. Because self-control boils down to attitude more than action. It allows the attitude, if I allow the attitude of worry, guilt, or bitterness to reign in my life, then my actions will be negatively impacted. But if I allow the attitude of submission to the Lord to flourish in my life, then my actions will be positively impacted. Far too often, I get caught up in trying to just change behaviors and actions without actually dealing with controlling my attitude. And so the key thought, one of the anchors I hold on to all the time, one of the things I hook my carabiner into, especially when I feel my life losing peace, is this. Attitude, a right attitude, determines a right action. A right attitude determines a right action. If you ask any of my kids, they've heard me say this for years. PJ can probably repeat all five that I'm going to share with you in the next few weeks, but a right attitude determines right action. 
Instead of first trying to correct your actions, learn to correct your attitude. Learn to identify when the lies of worry, guilt, and bitterness are taking root in your life. They're sneaking in and taking control of your life. Learn to identify when you have allowed your own deceitful heart to begin to control your life and thinking that you know what's best. Learn to identify when you are allowing your heart to be submitted to Christ and you're allowing the truths of Christ to flourish in your life. Self-control is much more about attitude submission than it is about behavior modification. So my question for you today is this. What attitude is controlling your life right now? What attitude is at the steering wheel of your life? Is it worry? Is it guilt? Is it anger? Despair? Hopelessness? What have you given control of your life to? What have you allowed to still control? Would you take it back? And once you take it back, would you give it to God and say, you know better than I? You certainly know better than bitterness and guilt and worry. And then submit to God and allow him to control your life. The first way we experience peace is remember that a right attitude equates to right action. And the right attitude is the attitude of submission to Christ. Let's pray together.